to the R. Jackson Home Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Rita Randolph, the grower. I guess if I add the in it, it makes it slightly different. The grower at Morris Nursery. The grower at Morris Nursery. Yeah. Um, as, uh, as opposed to a <laughs> opposed to landscaper. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, so Rita, um, besides being the woman who's on the cover of the first R. Jackson Home magazine. Which, thank you very much. Uh, well, that's all Katie and... and but. There's a lot more to you. Just in our short conversation here, I'm excited about all the things we're going to cover. But you were you you were telling me that you know this is uh, did your plant life start with your dad? Yeah, my dad was a horticulturist um, before World War II. He was breeding grapes, and um, uh, during the war, here? yeah, okay, just out in Westover on his mother's farm. They had a dairy farm. And he started getting into grapes, and I have a I have his original desk, which is made out of every piece of wood that something was shipped to him in, you know. And it's a little uh-huh. a little thin, tall desk in my bedroom. And uh, one of his first ads that was a dozen pansies for twelve cents or something. They were like a penny a piece, you know. And he would mail those. But his his uh, passion was growing and breeding, and he started out with grapes. Well, when World War II came out, he was too old to fight, and so were a lot of other people, but everybody joined, and they interviewed you as to your qualities and what you did. Well, he majored in electronics and chemistry, so his job during the war was to go and fix up all the shot-up bases and shot-up airplanes all over Europe. And um, I didn't know that until I interviewed my mother. He died when I was a teenager. And um, what happened was, is while all the men were off at war, um, his mother, my grandmother, hired in cotton choppers to come clean up the fence rows of the farm, and they accidentally cut down all of his grape breeding. He had even published a paper on it. I have have copies of it, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they accidentally cut down all of his work. So when he came back from the war, he didn't do grapes again. He went into magnolias and hollies and azaleas. Mm -hmm boxwood, things like that. And uh, back then, uh, they didn't have pots that they grew them in. Everything was grown in the ground. When I, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I'm a national lecturer too. And the, one of my uh, lectures is uh, the history of horticulture, a history of horticulture. I actually wrote a book okay. and it's called A History of Horticulture. And I'm propped up on the hood of his big landscape truck and I think I'm four three maybe and he's holding me there and he was a photographer so he took the picture and then ran and got in it he had all the camera equipment before anybody else did but the where I was going with that is everything was grown in the ground we predate plastic yeah. There were no plastic pots. So <laughs> if you came to shop there, um, whether it was an azalea or a boxwood or something, we dug. if it was grown in a clay pot, you didn't get to take the clay pot home. You had to tap it out, put it, stack it up, wrap it up in newspaper, and put it in a box for you to take home. So, so you know, some people want to, you, know, sh- you know, get away from the family business, get away from the family legacy. But it seems like you've really Oh, it. that's a story. Um, I, at first, I wasn't interested because uh, I liked flowers. You get immediate results out of flowers. Yeah, yeah. But he was into shrubs and things, and it was like, I didn't even like peonies because they only bloomed once a year. You know, So I was really into annuals and stuff like that. Tropicals came a little bit later. And the way they came 
was in the early 70s, uh, the house plant boom and macrame hangers, the hippie culture sort of bled into me, and I had an older sister. And uh, I, I was a tomboy. I rode horses and motorcycles with my brothers and stuff. And I went from not being popular at all to she's got a greenhouse you know because back then everybody was doing macrame hangers and little house plants you could you could sell anything you could grow and uh, my mother let my sister and I go to Florida in a pinto station wagon in like 71 or two and we brought back all these tropical plants that we could propagate and what hooked me was uh, we had this book it's like a encyclopedia it's called uh hortico hortico um let me think of that now. anyway it's like the plant bible mm-hmm. and every time we got a plant we knew we could grow it by looking at it but we wanted to look it up so at night after ed sullivan or something we'd sit around and look up plants that we had gotten in our book well it sat on the bible stand in our living room and i had taken it out to the greenhouse to label some things and i forgot and left it out in the greenhouse so I said, I'll go get it. I'm sorry, I'll go get it. So I ran across the parking lot to uh, the big glass greenhouse and walked down in there, and I knew right where the book was because I had a desk and dark, just ambient light, and I walked halfway down in the greenhouse, and I picked up the book, and when I turned around to walk out, all the plants were alive. It was like they were looking at me. I realized then that they are alive. And from that moment on, I was hooked. And then to start growing them and actually see the the results from your hands. You know, I've killed a lot of plants, but <laughs> <laughs> let's say we compost a lot of plants. Yeah. But but learning that they were alive and how they glow in the moonlight, and then to become a grower. And uh, I started speaking a lot because my mother didn't like retail and didn't like talking to garden clubs. So she sent me at an early age, and that's when I started mm-hmm. lecturing to garden clubs and things like that. And now I've got a history of speaking at botanic gardens all over the country. So did you do any formal training, or did you just, is it all you, hands-on? You, you can call it formal training, but anybody in horticultural academia knows there is no replacement for hands-on training. So I was born in the greenhouse business, but to actually learn things about plants, there are these short courses put on by Ohio State, and it used to be called OFA, uh, Ohio Florist Association, because back then we didn't have cut flowers shipped in from Mexico and South America. The the greenhouses were the florist producers, Mm -hmm. you know, back then, and we grew cut flowers and lilies and poinsettias and all that. And um, it it just was the, I had different years of being artists. I did stained glass. I did some welding, thinking I'm a tomboy. I can get into metal sculpture, you know, and things like that. I ended up welding up greenhouses. <laughs> but nothing really came as natural to me as that. And so I kept up a lot of my art, you know, paint and draw and that comes in handy when I'm describing arrangements to people and things I can scribble real well and um, my dad taught me photography and I have all his old cameras and I just kept going with that. Mm -hmm. So it's the plants. 
it's the plants, yes. And people will bring me plants to try to doctor up. I go, God, do you know how many plants I have killed? <laughs> Let's, you know, it's most humane thing is to let it go sometimes. But if it's a real personal plant that somebody has, I can usually help them out with it. But um, I remember a real turning point was uh, late 80s, 90s maybe, uh, chartreuse and variegated plants weren't really popular. I don't know anything about Chartreuse is a golden lime green. Okay. And variegated means like green and white. Okay. Like a hosta can be green and white, yeah. variegated. And uh, they weren't really popular early on when I was getting into plants, but my love of tropicals, I was looking for mm-hmm. plants of color to add oh, yeah. to yeah. my arrangements, yeah. foliage. I vendetta against hostas, but that's a, that's a different story. Yeah, but. well, deers make up for that. They'll eat all the ones you don't like. So. Um, but now, I've all, going back to the 70s and buying tropical plants, I was buying copper plants and crotons and things like that that are colorful foliage. Mm-hmm. And so my idea was you've got something pretty to look at if the foliage is interesting. And flowers are a bonus. Or a compliment, mm-hmm. but if you just concentrate on just flowers, if something happens and they quit blooming from lack of food, or you have to deadhead them or something, if they don't have interesting foliage, you just have olive drab. Mm-hmm. So I became a real foliage freak, and my arrangements were pretty, even if there wasn't a flower mm-hmm. in it. But then I would go look for a flower to go in it, and uh came up with a a lot of combinations that people would just look at them sort of like you're looking at me now (laughs) and they would go wow I never thought of that that's beautiful you know a plant by itself might not be so um interesting I liken it to shopping for clothes okay a scarf a tie for your suit yeah doesn't have to match it has to compliment yeah and so I do that with plants. So in, in, you mentioned the speaking and stuff. Yeah. So you you're you've grown up on the family farm, and you're you're running the family nursery. Where does where does the the speaking and stuff start to take off? When I was uh, lecturing to garden clubs and everything, that gave me my basis. But then there were grower associations in the state. If you're a certified greenhouse, you got invited to the University of Tennessee, and they would put on Tennessee flower growers. And I went all my life. Oh, you were asking about formal education. This yeah. is this is part of it. A short course like that is we bring in uh, professors of entomology or you know whatever is pertinent at the time that. The growers need to learn about either new fungicides or insecticides or different ways of growing things and um, proper fertilizers to use at different times of the year. There's there's other fertilizers besides 2020. <laughs> there's cold weather feed, you know, which is mostly nitrate instead of ammoniacal or ammonia. But these are the things you learn when you go to those short courses. Yeah, because you know I. I Part of the reason I ask is because you're using a lot of really formal-sounding terms. Yeah. So it's, it's not just... Growing plants. It's not just growing plants. <laughs> you're using, like, you, uh, specifically, you said, you know, we're propagating these plants. Like, mm-hmm. that's not a word an untrained person would use, I don't think. 
they'd say rooting. Yeah, or just growing, you know. Or what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, after I spoke to garden clubs and then I started going to grower symposiums, I ended up doing a lot of the uh, speaking. Mm-hmm. And um, Carol Reese took me to one in particular, oh, 15, 20 years ago, and she had these little Starbucks coffee things, the cold things with cream, and I'd never had one before, because I just, you know, don't do that. I drink my coffee black. But anyway, they're cold, and it was refreshing, and uh, we went to this Tennessee Flower Growers board meeting, and after two or three of those coffees, I walked out as president, so. (laughs) 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 And... So that led to the next stage, and then I started speaking for other state associations. Mm-hmm. Then I started speaking for Master Gardeners. Master Gardeners are actually a relatively new occurrence okay. because they, the universities used to be grower-concentrated, and now they're more direct to the public than they are to yeah. growers because growers can pretty much access all their information. At, uh, and, and it sounds like the industry has changed. A lot. Because, you know, if you're, and, and maybe you talk about this or not, but you talked about the, uh, you used to grow all the cut flowers and stuff here. So I imagine the, the transition has gone from a lot of commercial stuff to a lot of selling to uh, consumers. I remember uh, when we had Randolph's Greenhouses, mm-hmm. that was the name of our place, uh, and by the way, my husband and I ran it after my mother retired for 35 more years. Mm-hmm. And But I was raised here, so it's been my life. But um, who doesn't adapt? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I got, I saw it go from um, almost 10,000 poinsettias to uh, hundreds. Mm-hmm. And then we quit growing them completely when the box stores came into business um we grew for oh 30 40 50 florists i had people from nashville come and get our poinsettia trees to take to the country music stars because there was nobody else growing those but you had to follow trends yeah and uh do your own um comp trolling if you want to call it that if this doesn't pay you need to drop it yeah and um my mother uh cultivated me she let me have a greenhouse just to play in for a while and I would help her in the other greenhouses but when I got into house plants and tropicals I had my own greenhouse and my friends would come over at night because it's sort of spooky you know but it's that's what got me hooked was yeah. seeing there alive you know but yes over the years uh you know even friendships change every five or seven years and that's that's probably about right with plants too because uh you see trends on pinterest now mm-hmm. how old is pinterest you know yeah. and um it's it, it's fun even i get ideas you know no no idea is really original i mean yeah maybe there is but we all are inspired from something we saw absolutely whether it's in nature or on the computer yeah, yeah. yeah you got that idea from somewhere <laughs> And usually, if you're excited about something, it sells. You have to be the salesman, too, but also following the trends and changing with them. Yeah, and, and so that was, you know, my brain was just thinking about as the university switched from more of a grower to a gardener mm-hmm. type, that was a, 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 a 
a cycle I saw there. We did too because we used to be largely wholesale. We had 12 greenhouses out there, a lot of square footage. And I would see landscapers come in and wipe me out of something that I knew I had a customer willing to pay more for, you know. And so I built a retail center that was two greenhouses put together with an office in the middle, and one was for shade or morning sun, and the other one was for afternoon or all-day sun. So even though you might not recognize the plants in those greenhouses, you knew that when you walked into the north greenhouse, that was shade or morning sun, Mm -hmm. nothing real hot. And if you went into the other side, that's where you put it on the asphalt or the pool deck, you know, things like that. But my main purpose for building it was to go grab as many of the plants from the other greenhouses, you know, an assortment Mm -hmm. of everything so that wholesalers wouldn't clean me out. Yeah. And then it worked. And retail became bigger Mm -hmm. and bigger and bigger and to the point that after a few years, we were practically retail only. Mm -hmm. I did some custom growing for people where they got a discounted price on a, a large number of trays, but we we even evolved that way too, just like the universities did. Instead of wholesale, mm-hmm. we went completely direct to the customer. And I assume the customer has become more sophisticated over time. Yes. And so that has changed probably what you've offered. We tried to make it not intimidating. I had a lady tell me once she was so intimidated. I went, no, 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 don't. Don't feel that way. We'll we'll help you. Um, I didn't even know the names of some of the plants. Yeah. You know, until you get to know them, and you either really like them or you really hate them. Yeah. Then you remember their names, and uh, it takes a while. And I'm still learning. So, what we did try to do was make it fun. Um, in my lectures, I used to say, "I love kids." I'm lying. <laughs> it usually had a picture of a really cute kid on the screen and everything. But what do kids do is interrupt the mom or the dad while they're trying to shop. They want to go play softball. They want to go to the park. They want to go do something. So we started uh, actually trying to incorporate fun for the kids. I have a very good friend, uh, Gigi Bray, who knew everybody in town and their grandkids. And when they would walk in holding a baby, she'd go get them and play with them. And for the older kids, we grew a plant called a sensitive plant. It's Mimosa pudica. And it's a mimosa, little you know, compound leaf segmented, but when you touched it, it folds up. And I gave them away for free to the kids. And I would introduce them to it just by taking them to the bench where they were and saying, look, touch that. And it would grab the youngest child or the oldest one because I gave one. I said, they're free. And there's this man standing behind the child, and I thought it was the child's father. And he goes, oh, they're only free for kids? <laughs> and so I said, no, kids of all ages, and I handed him one. But I had kids coming back for years to get their sensitive plant, and I still have some people asking for them. Yeah. And going back to the speaking thing, you've got increasingly bigger things, and there's at some point a, a TV show or yeah, uh, Carol Reese and I had a TV show, and we got to name it and run it, do anything we wanted to do, and it was in the studio and uh, on the road. We'd go out to the gardens at University of Tennessee uh, Research and Agricultural Station, and we'd shoot out there, and it was called Earth Tones. And we did that for several years, but then 
I might be going to lecture, you know, in Pennsylvania, and she's going to Oregon, and it was really hard to get us together. And they ran reruns for a while, but they ended up canceling the show. And then uh, two or three years later, uh, they said, we've still got requests, so they let me start up my own, and it was called Green Thumb Gardening. And they were so nice. It was totally ad-lib. I would just gather together the plants that I was going to talk about or what I was going to talk about, and we built a big facade in back of me that looked like you're standing in the greenhouse, and uh, I would take plants, and we'd just shoot shows. And it's fun. I still have people saying, oh, I saw your your show. I said, boy, that's an old rerun. (laughs) So plants have taken you all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I even spoke up in Canada once in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and their growing season is literally two, two and a half months. I said, what do y'all do the rest of the time? And they go hunting or ice fishing or something like that. It's a totally different culture. But um, I, I would say my most fun times were... Uh, I introduced a plant. Um, I have a fern named, named yeah. after me. So how, how, do you, how did that happen? Yeah, because that you, I mean, where did a new fern come Well, there's a, a big uh, thing you have to state. You didn't breed it. Okay. You found it. Okay. Most new plants are found. Now, there's a lot of breeding going on. Uh-huh. But many producers of plants will tell you, uh, well, there's a story about a, nursery in Nashville where Dan Himes from Terranova Nursery found a plant growing under the bench and he bought it from the guy, you know, clear, no ties. And he ended up putting it in tissue culture and it was one of the largest selling perennials for years and the man's royalties that he got paid for it was enough to go buy his hog, his motorcycle. (laughs) So he made it pretty good. But I've always been on the search for some plant that I've never seen before. That's what's going to catch my eye. And when we go shopping, you'd love this because our, if I go with a friend or so, I'll go down one aisle and she'll go down the other and we'll scan. And we'll go, hey, I found this or hey, have you seen this? And um, then we argue over who gets it if, only, if there's only one. you know. So um, I was always searching for new plants. And uh, Jason Reeves that runs the gardens out at the research center uh graduated from ut and he actually used to work for me when he first got out of college well he was going on a buying trip and he called me and he said this lady's going out of business and she's got these golden ferns chartreuse ferns lime green i said buy them all get them all and i think there was maybe a dozen that's it. But she was going out of business. And he brought them back, and we started propagating them. And when I showed them in my slideshows, I realized every time no one had ever seen it before. And when you're a good speaker and you get really good reviews, lots of people say, do you know a good speaker? And so you get your name gets spread around like that. So on one of my trips, uh, uh pretty well-known horticulturist said, Rita, you need to do something with that fern. It's getting ready to get stolen from you, meaning someone else was going to trademark it. It couldn't be patented because it had already been out when you... So you can... I'm getting complicated. You can trademark... <laughs> you get tra- if you trademark a plant... That is not one you've bred. 
right. found in potentially nature. Right. You just stamp it and say, I found this. I did all the footwork. Mm-hmm. And if you can control the growers and allow certain producers, mainly tissue culture, to carry your plant, then they pay you a royalty. And in that case, it was 10 cents a plant for about 12 years. Okay. And it's a handshake, yeah. but it's mainly up to you to uh, control the producers. Mm-hmm. When you patent a plant, you've bred it. You've, you've... You have not created, God does that, but, uh, or Mother Nature, but you have made the situation to where you pollinated two things mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. came up with this, yeah. or a sport developed. And plants do sport a lot. It's like a sport is, uh, coleus do it all the time. The plant looks like this, but then it's got one arm that's different. Mm-hmm. You can patent that. Okay. But the laws on patenting are you can't share the picture, you can't sell it, you can't show it to anybody for the first year. When you find that plant, uh-huh. the yeah, keep t- clock starts ticking. Yeah. But if you trademark a plant, um, the trademark's forever. So even though they may get it from somebody else, my name is still on it. Interesting. Oh, so- it's an honor. Oh, and I did not name it. Yeah. So I was at a trade show trying to sell it to a tissue lab. And uh, Carol was with me again, and uh, Alan Armitage from the University of Georgia walked by. And he's like a plant god. We love him. He's written num- numerous books. And his first book was on cut flowers, by the way. But anyway, he now writes about perennials and other stuff. He was walking down the aisle, and Carol just grabbed the fern and waved it and said, Alan, what do you think of this? And he went, yuck. Because, see, previously dark green means a plant is healthy. Yellow means it's anemic. Yeah, but yeah. now you have chartreuse plants and variegated plants, so you might say, is it supposed to be that color? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, he said, yuck. Took four steps, turned around, and came back and said, let me see that thing. So I gave it to him. He took it back to the University of Georgia, gave it uh, Classic City Awards for outstanding performance through the season. And the way that works is it's charted on a graph of ebb and flow of the flush of flowers or the looks of the plant. The students will go out there and survey all the plants and mark them whether they look good or not. Well, mine look good all summer long, so I got Classic City Awards, and then I had Tissue, tissue culture people knocking on my door, yeah. wanting it, and that, and Alan named it after me. So what is the what is it called? Well, I had another name picked out already. What did you have picked out? <laughs> I'm not gonna say. You know what I'm No, but he wrote about it in Fine Gardening, and named it Rita's Gold, and introduced it for me. Didn't even cost me anything to get it introduced. Uh-huh. So it's called Rita's Gold, and it's it's real cute. And it has a little label and everything, but I, I do say right up front, I didn't name it after myself. Yeah, I would never do someone that. Else named it. You sure you don't want to divulge that? What your initial name was? Nah. Okay. Well, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. So a Rita's gold. You said teacher tissue culture. It's where they divide cells, uh-huh. and they actually have to cook the plants to get rid of all bacteria and viruses because plants carry germs just like people do. Okay. And there's actually this thing that's like a cross between an oven and a pressure cooker, and they cook them to the point of death and then bring them back because heat kills viruses, just like a fever. You know. And um, although ferns don't carry viruses typically, uh, other plants do, um, it's a sterilization 
process that they go through. It's a very sterile lab with gloves and hats and all this kind of stuff. And so they sort of make it in, they take the new growth and sort of turn it into a milkshake and put it in little petri dishes and let it grow. And so they get the purest version of the plant? And uh, thousands out of one. Interesting. Whereas traditional propagation, uh, you just have to cut and divide and cut and divide. By the way, daylilies that are so popular are not suitable for tissue culture. They can only be grown from division. Hmm. They're plants that aren't suitable for tissue yeah. culture. Wow. It is okay. fun, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's See, you're, you're going to be a plant person when this is over. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, but oh. my, my, wife, my wife loves plants, so yeah. we, uh, um, which is actually where we ran into you. Was we were up at the greenhouse. Um, do you have hands in any other plants? Oh, I grow everything. I'm a conifer nut. In fact, I'm sticking conifer cuttings now. And uh, the basis for that is, if you're on Facebook, you can see my picture the other day I posted. Where, where, if people are looking for you on Facebook, where should they look? Well, I have two pages. I have Rita's Rare Plants, but I post mainly on my private page just because of time. Yeah. Um, I'll tag Rita's Rare Plants as my location sometime, but uh, or Morris Nursery because I grow for them. They pretty much let me grow whatever I want to back there. As long as it sells, we're, mm-hmm. we're cool. Um, but it's just Rita Randolph in Jackson, Tennessee, and you'll see other Rita Randolphs, but I'm the green leaf with my profile on it and mm-hmm. I, me shooting a camera on my wall. Um, but I posted uh, Christmas greens, and I use a lot of the golden conifers and my wreaths and arrangements, and it really makes them pop. If you've got a dark door and you hang a dark green wreath, it's not going to show. Yeah, there's no contrast. So if you do gold foliage mixed in or variegated boxwood or variegated euonymus, something like that, um, it pops. Yeah. So were you... Now, I would I would think almost with the transition of the business that we talked about, that doing arrangements, is that something you've always done or is that something mm-hmm. that came in with the... I've always done uh, arrangements. Uh, funny story was uh, I didn't take any formal classes. I read books on Ikebana because they were following bonsai, you know, Japanese flower arranging or Japanese plant pruning, you know. And my main teacher was my aunt, Aunt Pat, Pat Randolph, and she's teaching at St. Mary's, I don't think she'll ever quit. She tried to retire once, but didn't. But she did the flowers for St. Mary's every Sunday and every occasion and some weddings. And I loved it because I went over to her house as a child. I spent a lot of time over there. And she just used what was looking good at the time. And that was totally seasonal, you know, whether it was daisies blooming out in the field or pinstemon for a wedding or hydrangeas or peonies or fall foliage, you know, and she just arranged them the way that they would be growing in nature, not like a florist would. And so I learned basic flower arranging from her and my mother, but then um, it's not hard to study flower arranging. If you've already got your hands in horticulture, you can learn how to do a lot of things with flowers. So if someone is wanting to have a green thumb, what are some like go-to pieces of advice you get? Uh, my main thing is uh, go to Master Gardeners. Uh, they have a point system, and I hope they aren't offended 
by me saying this, but if somebody just moved to town and they're from a different zone, mm-hmm. like colder than us or warmer than us, say they're from California or New York or Illinois, your plants are different in those different zones. And if they want to know what grows in this zone, rather than picking up a Southern Living book or something and having to read it, I I tell them to go to Master Gardeners. And whether you get the certification or not, you're going to hear the area's best speakers and direction. Plus, you have all of the plant material they have out there at the Botanic Gardens. Mm -hmm. And it's an excellent way to meet people who think the same as you. Um, I have people that want to just come hang out at the greenhouse or work for me for free. I can't do that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, They can come visit. I have people walking out there with their coffee in the morning just to look around because it changes every week. They they do grow. Yeah, they do grow and they do change. But okay, so so we've uh, so you're you're at Morris nowadays. What what else are you up to these days? Oh wow, Um, I adopted a kid in Africa. Mm. My kids are grown, and uh, I guess I got into it because uh, he was asking me horticultural questions. We met on an agricultural forum, and I've always been interested um, in Africa. I had I, I used to build fish ponds, and there's a fish pond company that actually goes over to Africa, and they dig... Uh, what do you call them under a building to hold cisterns mm-hmm. to hold rainwater runoff? And I volunteered to go with them. They didn't answer me, you know. But anyway, I met LaSissi on Facebook and we just have been friends ever since. And I put him through high school and college. And what I was amazed at was how little it takes to help, but how little people help. I can get a hundred hits off of my plant arrangement or my wreaths that I, if I post something about help my friend in Africa, I get two or three, you know, and people just prefer to look the other way and not think about it out of sight, out of mind. And I'm amazed at how little it takes to help them. And my saying is, I can't help everybody, but I can help one. And if everybody would just help one, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. You know? um, I just chose to do it directly because I didn't like the uh, amount of money that was going into the management of some of the things I was looking at. And most of the really good help organizations are religious-based. So if somebody wanted to help somebody overseas or in Africa or India or Polynesia, um, church-based missionary work is really the way to go if you don't want to directly do it yourself because obviously there's some hackers out there that'll try to take you for a ride. (laughs) But um, I guess the older we get, the more we look at ourselves and how I could help somebody or do something for somebody. Yeah. So that's how I got into that. I, I'm really dying to go. I would love to uh, have some kind of fundraiser or maybe sell some of my land and go to Africa. My husband and I really hope to go. We got him a computer and a phone. We chat on text almost every day. 
and he's in his uh, junior year in college. Well, Rita, thank you so much for making the time to come over here, and and thank you for helping make Jackson a a more uh, verdant place. Uh, A more what? Verdant place. Verdant? Green? (laughs) (laughs) Now you're using the big words. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Today's podcast was hosted by Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music was performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at the Co. To find out more about the Co, visit their website at www.attheco.com. To find out more about our Jackson home and to read more about how amazing Jackson is, visit ourjacksonhome.com.